Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we conclude our eight-part series entitled The Power of Perspective, Life Principles from the Book of Proverbs. And this week we have the eighth message entitled What Every Kid Craves, Perspective on Parenting. And it's brought to us by our student ministries pastor, Dave Cox. Well, we are finishing up our series in Proverbs today. Um, If you have an outline, go ahead and take that out of the bulletin. And if you have a pen, get it out. And you're going to notice the first thing on that outline, it says this, the first thing to understand. Do you see that? You have a pen. Can you write this word down? Difficult. (laughs) Difficult. Put that down. Um, I'm not describing necessarily your kids, although I might be. Uh, But what I am describing is the fact that Parenting is tough. Parenting is hard. It's going to stretch you probably more than anything else ever will. There's no formula that I could give or that Scripture just lays out that says this is exactly what you can do. But Scripture does speak really clearly about principles. Principles for parents, principles for anybody who's going to be working with kids. So I want to do a quick audience poll. How many of you are parents? And you would agree, yes, parenting is difficult. Can you admit that? (laughs) Uh, Any single parents say, no, it's not difficult. It's like impossible. All right, yes. Uh, how about, or do we have grandparents in the house today? Uh-huh. Now, these are the ones that believe their job is to spoil children. <laughs> it's true. You guys can do that. You have a huge impact on kids. Um, do you have, we have anybody in here who are empty nesters? Your kids are out of the house. Oh, look at these ones are smiling. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, you thought they were out of the house. How many boomerang parents? Any boomerang parents in here? The kids are back. Oh, <laughs> so sorry. Um, how about any new parents? Got new parents two years old or younger. That's how old your kids are. Yeah? Uh, <laughs> suckers. <laughs> Just joking. You know, Proverbs actually says, if you got kids, it's one of the greatest blessings from the Lord. It's an amazing gift from God. Um, is there anybody in here who doesn't have kids? <laughs> and you'd admit, I don't even like kids. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, you're the ones that, you know, as a youth pastor, I'm taking students out. You're the ones I love to sit next to in a restaurant. You know, you think, that's me. No, it's my job as a pastor to help teach patience. That's my goal. (laughs) So we'll help you out. I don't care where you're at today. If you're a parent, a single parent, your grandparent, if you're a brother or sister, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're someone who works in student ministries, you work with youth, uh, there's so much we can grab from this because, bottom line, we're all coming in contact with kids. We are. And... Uh, there's, there's things that we could do to help really bring out the best in any kid. Uh, if we want kids to grow up in the knowledge of the Lord, we want them to grow up to be responsible, respectable people when they get older, we have huge impact. But hands down, there's nobody who has a greater impact than parents. Hands down. Every study has indicated that. So if you're a parent, especially tune your ears in today, because I think this is going to be really practical. A couple things off the top I want to point out. I don't, I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be an expert. Um, In fact, uh, I've known some people who thought they were experts, then they had children. (laughs) Uh, So I I don't stand up here. I don't even have kids. Um, Pastor Mike asked me to speak on this topic because I've worked with students um, as a youth pastor in different capacities for 17 years. Um, In some ways, I've been at Rocky Peak for 13 years, but I've been, been involved in working with students for 17 years. Come in contact with hundreds and hundreds of students hundreds of families, and you're going to hear some of my observations even as we go through that, um, because there's patterns that emerge. Uh, you're also going to hear some of my perspective as a police officer. Um, been with LAPD for 15 years. I still serve as a reserve with them. Um, mostly work in patrol. I worked vice for a year and a half. Um, 
But just out there on the street, get a chance to interact and see what goes on. There's patterns that emerge. And you're going to hear some of that as well. You're also going to, the main thing though that we're going to rest on, this is a series in Proverbs. And Proverbs is one of those books of the Bible that really speaks a lot to the topic about parenting and relationships in general. Um, Proverbs is, if you could get to it, remember these are not promises, but this is really more how life works. So when you hear these Proverbs are saying, generally, this is, if this is going on, this is what you can really usually expect. Not promises, but it's more patterns of how life really works. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Here's a great scripture to kick us off. Proverbs chapter 24. Verse 3. I think this is a great scripture. This is kind of what we're going after today. <clears throat> it says this. By wisdom, underline that word, a house is built. And through understanding, underline that word, it is established. By wisdom, a house is built. Through understanding, it's established. Here's another version. This is the NCV. This is how it puts that same verse. It takes wisdom to have a good family. And it takes understanding to make it strong. Um, What we're going after is some more wisdom, more insight, deeper understanding. And the focus of this message is to get a greater understanding of innate needs that every kid has. These are things kids crave. They might not outwardly say that they crave it. They might not outwardly admit that they need it. But these are deep cravings, deep needs that every kid needs. You're also going to find that these principles will have a broader application as well. Um, We're going to focus on the specific application in the context of a parent and uh, kid and parent relationship, but these, a lot of these can just be more general principles. So keep that in mind. Um, as we go in here, this is what we're going to be answering. You know, what is it that every kid needs? What does every kid crave? On the first thing on your outline, I want you to write this word: correction. Correction. Um, in Proverbs, if you read through the book of Proverbs, hands down, what is most often talked about in regards to parenting is correction or discipline. Kids need it. We need it. In fact, if you look at the totality of Scripture, the whole aspect of Scripture, in our relationship with God, there's something very interesting. Um, We know clearly that God loves us. God also disciplines us. That's Hebrews 12, 6. It says, uh, um, He disciplines those that He loves. And the whole context of discipline in Scripture is really to be guidance. It's not just for punishment. It's not the heart of God. It's to guide us and direct us. It's a very fascinating thing as you go through it. So what you find in the Bible is that love and discipline, they go hand in hand. They're always together. Now Proverbs, we, I'm only going to take a couple scriptures. There's a lot of them in Proverbs about this. There's two things that I noticed that Proverbs said. Uh, they're pretty potent. These are powerful statements. Um, Proverbs says, if, as, if there's a parent and they refuse discipline... They refuse correction. There's two things going on. One, it proves that they don't love their children. Those are strong words. The second thing it says is you're participating in their destruction. If you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs 13.24. I'll read it from the NIV first. It says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful. Underline that word, careful. To discipline him. Here's how another translation puts it. If you refuse to discipline your son, it proves you don't love him. 
Discipline is a key thing. It can be one of the most loving things if it's done right. Um, also says you're participating in their destruction. Turn to Proverbs 19:18. <clears throat> this is what it says. Discipline your son, for in that there's hope. Did not be a willing party to his death. Let me read another translation to get a different nuance on it. Correct your children while there's still hope. Don't let them destroy themselves. What Proverbs is really getting at is that as a parent, um, or anybody who works with kids, your job is to help uh, teach them new ways of thinking, new patterns. If you don't invest in them like that, you're setting them up to fail. That's the heart behind it. Um, there's a certain time of life that a lot of parents begin to freak out. Uh, it's called teenage years. You ever been there? Anybody? Uh, seen this a lot. I want to give a little, just a quick insight to something that's going on with your kids when they're teenagers. A couple things are happening. One, their intellect is growing. They are coming to a place where they're developing critical thinking skills. Maybe for the first time. Um, <laughs> you're like, uh-uh, it's not, <laughs> it's not that critical. <laughs> No, there's something that's real that's happening. They're learning to analyze things in ways they haven't analyzed them before. Um, they're going to be making some of their own decisions. Along with that critical thinking piece is something else that's going on. They have a strong desire to have a sense of their own independence, their own identity. Um, a place where they're feeling like they, don't, they can't just be associated with mom and dad all the time. They have to become their own person. So you combine two things. They're going to be critically thinking, examining, analyzing things, and a strong desire to start to become their own person. Do you see potential for conflict? Oh yeah, it's going to come in there. But as parents, have a deep and gracious understanding about what's going on. There's going to be times your kids need to be able to make some choices that are different than maybe what you would make. Not saying wrong choices, evil choices, but they're going to be needing to make some choices of their own. And you're going to have to observe that and use wisdom over time but that's a clear thing that's happening um, with kids and that's why even if kids are going to be wanting or parents some parents want to work and serve in youth ministry and we're really careful about that because there's a clear place where kids need to have some getting some independence healthy independence from their parents so space and, and how you interact with them is key but it doesn't say that you don't discipline that you don't always watch and try and guard and protect them as you go through there Here's a key thing on your outline that I'd like you to fill in. When it goes to discipline, the biggest thing, from my heart, as a youth pastor, I'd say this, um, check your temper before you discipline. Check your temper before you discipline. Correction comes with caution. Bodies are fragile. Spirits are more fragile. Um, some of the most hurtful moments comes in the heat of the moment when hurtful things are done. And it can leave scars and negative memories for years. You've got to be really, really careful. Can I say this to you as parents as well? There's going to be times <laughs> that you want, to, you want to love your kids and there's times you want to squeeze your kids. Uh, and, and the places where you feel your temper and your anger coming up and it's a place of correction, check your temper. Do you know why? When you are dealing with that anger emotion, you're doing something very important. You're modeling to your child how to process anger. How you process that anger may be more important than the place of correction that you're giving. Now that's convicting. Um, haven't we all blown that? 
If we're honest, we've blown that. But this is huge. I want you to listen to this from Ephesians. It says, Now a word to parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline of the Lord that he approves with suggestions and godly behavior. So careful with the scolding. I love that translation, that version of Ephesians 6, 4. Um, can I tell you something? Do you know how to make kids really angry? You want to know how to make your kids turn on you? Um, you can do one of two extremes. One, you discipline harshly, yelling, screaming, um, harsh words. Your kids will turn from you. You want to know another thing you could do to make your kids turn on you? Don't discipline at all. Can't handle that. Um, everybody needs boundaries. Uh, there's no safety or care without that. Those are the two extremes. Let me tell you, my experience as a police officer, I get two extremes a lot of times with parents, especially parents of kids who get in trouble a lot. It's one of those two extremes. Those parents are out of control. They can't control their temper for anything. And you're going to see that produced in their kids. The second one is parents who just don't care. You know, And you can see it when they come to pick up their kids or if you have any interaction with them. They won't discipline. And those kids are going to keep going that way. It's huge. You, um, you know what discipline and anger produces? It produces angry kids. It also produces humiliation, embarrassment, um, and ultimately violence. They're going to get violent themselves. Um, when you lose control, they lose respect. And ultimately, they will lose control as well. So just keep a check on that. Now, we know that scripture in Proverbs, you know, you've heard, spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, some people have taken this to mean you have a license to beat your kids. No, there's not a license to beat your kids. Um, you've got to be careful with this. It's very fascinating, even the word rod in scripture. Um, there's a whole other context that the rod is used. It's in Psalm 23. You're familiar with it. Jesus says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. whole aspect, there's a whole other sense of the rod, not just for discipline, but it's for careful and loving guidance. Now, what I'm not saying is that it's wrong to spank your kids. Um, it's okay to have loving discipline, but you be careful when you do it. That's probably the biggest thing I would emphasize. Know what this means practically? That maybe in the heat of the moment, you might need to just back away for a little bit. You need to pull back until you're under control and then deal with it. And I'd say the bigger the issue, the bigger the conflict, the more intense or deeper the error that was done, you might need to take longer to step away to process before you deal with it. Check your temper before you discipline. Second thing every kid needs, every kid craves, is affection. Affection. They crave it. They hunger for it. Um, there's two types of affection I'm going to just touch on briefly. One is affection with your words. Another one's affection with your actions. I want to read a couple quotes from kids, though. Um, when we think of the words that we use for kids and how important and how impactful that can be, this is a 17-year-old, senior, member of a wrestling team. Listen to what this kid said. When I win, nothing's more important than hearing my father say, Great job, son. When I lose... There's nothing more helpful than hearing him say, you gave him the best wrestle he's had in a long time. Just wait till next time. Isn't that a good dad? Um, here's a 13-year-old girl. I know my mother loves me. She tells me all the time. I think my dad does too, but he doesn't say it. Isn't that telling? Kids need that. 14-year-old girl. My mom left when I was four years old, so I don't remember her, but later my dad married my stepmother, 
I consider her my mother. Sometimes when I get down on myself, she tells me how much she loves me and tells me good things about myself that I sometimes forget. I couldn't make it without her. Isn't that powerful? Um, We learned in the series of Proverbs, Mike spoke on it. Words have, have the power to make you or break you. It's huge for kids. Let me just say, it's such a fragile time, especially when they go in those teenage years. They're struggling with their identity. What you say has huge impact. Um, And it's a lot easier to remember the critical things and the positive things. So you need to give generously. Now here's the suggestion I want to give with the words. You need to encourage them. But not just regular encouragement. I I would say encourage beyond performance. Write that down. Encourage beyond performance. That's the deepest kind of encouragement. Surface encouragement. Man, you love your haircut. You have an amazing voice. I went to your basketball game the other day, and you don't sweat nearly as much as the other kids on the bench. You know, uh, surface encouragement. Um, what's a deeper kind of encouragement? Well, a deeper kind of encouragement, it, it doesn't just speak at the performance level. Um, so much of what kids hear is shame-oriented. They're getting mocked. Um, beat up by words, or it's just performance-driven. Um, you know what I'm talking about. If a kid does really well, hey, great job. They do something wrong, shame on you. If you grew up in a household where that's the only kind of encouragement you got when there was something positive that you did, it creates something. A, you need a, a deep, deep desire for approval. And you will try and gain that approval by your actions. And it creates this little monster that just grows and grows. You become an approval addict. How do you break that cycle in a family? You encourage beyond performance. What's that look like? If there's a basketball game you go to, um, and at this basket or baseball game, a uh, kid hits a home run, you know, typical, hey, proud of you. You're shouting, good job. They strike out, shame on you. You know what? You, know, you should have been practicing more. That's what's going to happen if you don't practice. Don't be stupid like that. Practice. Okay, go to any baseball game. You're going to hear that stuff all the time. How do you encourage beyond performance? You know, if you looked at your kid and you just said something like, there's nothing that excites me more than watching you play. You know how proud I am of you. That goes beyond whether they hit a home run or they struck out. It speaks to the value of them as a person. If you can ever speak to the value of someone as a person, despite their performance, you've spoken to their heart. They crave it. And let me tell you, parents, they need it. They need it. Um, it's one of those encouraging things. And, and don't we need it in our own life as well? I know I could lay an egg up here preaching. <laughs> At the end, it doesn't matter if it's my wife or my family. They're going to love me just the same. Do you know how important that is for kids? Because they're going to mess up a lot. And they need encouragement beyond performance. Second thing I'd say, it's not just your words. You've got to use your actions. You need to shower them with love. Um, Shower them with love. I'm talking about physical touch. Appropriate physical touch. You know, every emotionally healthy kid gets a lot of affection. Um, a lot of physical touch. It's, there's something I was reading this past week. There's something called the skin hunger. That we all have this, there's a hunger inside of us for certain kinds of touch. Just to have physical contact. Now, let me just say, when kids don't get this hunger satisfied in healthy ways... They will get it satisfied in unhealthy ways. This is huge for fathers. Can I just tell you from a heart of a youth pastor and observation over time, and every study will back this up. 
When there's an unaffectionate father in the home, two things usually happen. Um, if there's boys in the house, you're going to find boys who have a hard time expressing themselves emotionally. Because there's a good chance you can't do that. The second thing is, if there's an unaffectionate father or the absence of any male role model, um, the kids, the girls, will express themselves sexually. Um, if those needs are met in healthy, appropriate ways, trust me, they will find somebody else to meet those needs. When God designed a family, um, he knew what he was doing. And when you take away basic needs of just the words of love, just an arm around a shoulder, an appropriate hug, a pat on the back, those are really important things. If you've got boys, too, they need it as well. Um, Sometimes a lot of parents back away when kids turn teenagers. They're acting weird. Uh, And if you ask a kid, you know, teenagers often will look at their parents and say, well, you just don't understand. They're weird. (laughs) You are weird, and you make me feel uncomfortable. You know those kids are right sometimes? You are weird. No. Um, (laughs) Depends on the parent. But what's going on? Let me explain a little bit of what's happening. When kids are teenagers, they they need as much touch as anybody else. If you don't need me, go to the junior high area. Just watch those students. They're going to be smacking, huggling, tackling. Uh, They're all over each other. You know a kid loves you when he tries to tackle you, when he jumps on your back, is holding on to you. Honestly, that's an expression that that they like. They're bonding. They they don't know how necessary to express it with their words, but they're going to, you know, come and try and trip you or something, you know. But they're going to do something and say, there's something going on there. Um, uh, One 13-year-old boy says, you know, I feel closest to my dad when we're camping and we arm wrestle. You know, there's, in reading this past week, one author described this as wrestlationships. Uh, that, you know, a lot of, for guys, it's, you know, there's the physical touch. You know, it might be a, a rub on the shoulder or something, but some kids are just happiest when they're in a the headlock. <laughs> and, you know, rumbling around with their, their dad on the floor. So just know that you've got to shower them with love and what that looks like. But there's probably times when you don't want to be touching or trying to hug your kid. Let me just say, when they're especially getting older in the teenage years, one of the biggest, most awkward times for teenagers, their parents are around, they're hanging out with their friends, and their biggest fear is, oh no, mom or dad are going to come up right now, and they're going to try and give me a hug or kiss in front of my friends. Just be careful when they're with their peers. You may need to just back off. That means at the end of a game, you don't need necessarily to be the first one out there hugging and kissing. The fact that you were in the stands speaks volumes. But they need some independence to bond with their friends as well. The second time I would say it is, you know, if they're really angry, you don't need to try and shower them with love then, but watch some cues from your kids. They're going to give you some insight on that. But bottom line, they need it. Affection. The third thing every kid needs is identity. Identity. Is this stuff, you finding this stuff helpful? All right, we'll keep going here. Identity. Um, Recognize and value their uniqueness. There's something unique and valuable about your kids. Um, and that's one of the greatest, most important things about parenting. You've got to find that stuff. You've got to spot it. Um, as, we, uh, as we look at this, I, I want to say that a lot of kids battle with something. They, they battle with this feeling like they have to measure up. They battle with the fact that they're being compared to somebody else. Um, comparison, uh, always trying to measure up to something greater beyond themselves, that just that beats them up over time. And it makes them feel like within them, they're not okay. There's something wrong with them. Um, this past week, the, uh, Mike, Stan, Brent, and I, we were at uh, Mammoth. We, were, we go away about every three months to pray, seek the Lord on behalf of the church, worship together. 
And I was in my room studying for this message, and, and that we had this massive snowstorm up there. And it was one of those unique moments where the snowflakes were hitting the window, and they'd stay on there. They wouldn't melt. If you ever try and look at a snowflake individually, they always melt in your hand. You never can see it. So it was like one of the first times I could ever really examine these individual snowflakes. Because I've always heard, no two look alike. Well, how do you know? Come on. Well, looking at them, uh, it was just fascinating me. But there's, there's something true about that. There's true the fact that when God makes something, he, it is unique and it's, it's clearly designed. And that's true for your kids. There's something so unique about how God designed your children. How God designed you. They may look similar to you. They may look similar to a twin. But their wiring's different. Different genes will be dominant. Different personality traits will emerge. But there's something unique about the kids, and they need to hear that. Um, I was even reading this week, there's many different kinds of intelligence. When kids are in school, we, we do a good job of testing you know, their uh, scholastic aptitude. Um, we have IQ tests. That's a certain kind of intelligence we're testing. But there's other kinds of intelligence that's not necessarily tested in school. Um, there was, I, I read about artistic intelligence, numerical intelligence, mechanical intelligence, theoretical intelligence, theories or abstract things, relational intelligence. You ever heard of um, EQ, emotional intelligence? In fact, they say that uh, emotional intelligence generally is a greater indicator of your success long-term than your IQ, EQ over IQ, because it's so key. Now, your kids are going to have different strengths. You know what your job as a parent or if you're a coach, a teacher, anybody who works with kids, talks with kids, you've got to help identify what's strong about them and encourage the heck out of it because they may not be good at everything else. Now, there's a great scripture in Proverbs, very familiar one. I want to read it and talk about it for a brief second. It's Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, 6. It says this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Underline that phrase. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now this is fascinating. In my study of this, this week, I I noticed a couple things about this verse. Uh, A common verse that we've heard that in the way that he should go, raise a child in the the habits of godliness. Um, Raise him up to pursue God. Model that. Train it. Invest in them. And there's a good chance, long term, that'll come out. I can tell you as a youth pastor, junior high, probably most critical time, because if you can catch them, they're going straight there. It sets them up good for high school. Otherwise, you're always trying to do catch-up work. So I see that it's really clear that this really plays out a lot in life. And youth ministry is strong, but the stronger example is parents. So this is a key aspect of that verse. I notice there's a different nuance to this verse as well. This verse, training up a child in the way he should go. That phrase, in the way he should go... Um, literally means upon the mouth of his way. Another way of saying that from the Hebrew is according to his way. Train up a child according to his way. There seems to be another nuance with this verse, which goes to say that um, there's something different and unique about each kid that's going to be different from the other kids, and you want to encourage them in the way that they're designed, uniquely designed, and God designed them for their purpose in life. That's a big deal. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 6 says this. God works through different people in different ways. Um, God's going to work through your kid in different ways than you'd ever imagine. You've got to be the best detective. You've got to study your kids. You've got to look for those things and encourage those things. Um, if you know me at all, you know I'm mechanically deficient. <laughs> There's something wrong there. 
I don't know. Uh, it's just definitely not my strength. Uh, my dad uh, owned a machine shop for years, and I remember in the summer, I worked for him for a couple summers, and it wasn't, didn't take long to realize that I was not the fastest person on the get it curve <laughs> about how to do certain things in there. And what was amazing is that my dad picked up on that really well. Um, what he would find, though, is at lunch, and I'm an extrovert too, so at lunch I'm around the table, we'll be laughing, joking, getting into the lives of these people, and he noticed something. He noticed that I had a greater passion for people and more extroverted kinds of things, and he knew that I had a design for ministry, and he made sure I was able to go through school and get that. He didn't take offense that I wasn't good at what he was good at, but he encouraged me in my areas of strength. And that's a good dad. Um, for you as a parent, that means you've got to be on the lookout. That means if your kid loves music, he might not want to be a football player. Uh, if he's great at engineering, but you want him to be a lawyer, be careful about that. That's why 1 Corinthians 13.5, love does not demand its own way. Don't try and live your life through your kids because you could kill the very thing that they were designed for. Instead, study them and encourage that the best you can. So the key phrase on this one is help them discover their uniqueness. Help them discover their uniqueness. Fourth thing every kid needs is balance. Balance. I love this scripture. Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry put you further behind. Um, I love that translation of that proverb. Um, But you ever feel like that? You can't keep charging without recharging. That... The more you're doing, more you're doing, you almost feel like you're getting more and more behind. It's a pattern of our culture. We all battle it. We're all dealing with it ourselves. Can I just tell you, as a youth pastor, watching what's been happening with kids um, over the past, even the past five years, um, kids are getting uh, more and more commitments. They're getting more expectation, less sleep, and more stress. Kids are getting stressed out. Um, They feel pressure coming from all directions. From coaches, teachers, parents, come from everywhere, um, and it starts it starts piling up. Um, a lot of kids aren't just involved in one sport. No, it's two sports, three sports, four sports. Uh, try and squeeze church in. Try and you know do music practices. Let me just tell you, um, you better be real careful with the number of commitments your kids make, because there's a need for healthy relationship, healthy downtime. They need balance in their schedule. Just like you need balance in your schedule. Um, I love the example of Jesus. He was not overcommitted. Do you think he had a lot on his plate? Uh, savior of the world, you know, training 12 men to you know, carry this on, although he's not writing any books or anything. That's a pretty big job. You know, crowds always you know, coming after him during his time of ministry, trying not to get killed too early. You know, there's a lot on his mind. Um, but what you find with Jesus is that he always had time for what was most important. That just speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. Can I give you one of the things that breaks my heart as a youth pastor? Is when I see kids, even great kids, um, make too many commitments, but the thing that is taken out of their schedule is, is church. It breaks my heart. Um, I just even think of the fact, who are the people in your life, are their lives, that will encourage them in the Lord besides you? Who are those people? Are they getting that at music practice? Are they getting that on the field? Um, kids need it. I want to read you a scripture from Prov- or Hebrews 
chapter 10. And keep your kids in mind on this one. Listen to this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Who's reminding your kids that God is faithful? And let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Are the kids in the neighborhood doing that with your kids? Are they getting this at ice hockey? Um, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. Who's encouraging your kids besides you? And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what I'm not saying is that having them involved in sports or other things are bad. You know, I did karate from junior high all the way through. That's what I used to teach before I ever went into ministry. But for me, it was a shaping, important aspect of my life. So I don't devalue that. But I'm just saying, make sure that there's balance so they can have space to be um, involved at their church. Um, As a youth pastor... um, One of the things that I get from kids a lot is kids feel way too much pressure to excel at everything that they're doing. Um, This is something that will crush a child's spirit. It'll crush anybody's spirit. If you feel like you have to be good at everything you do, the bar has been raised too high on everything. might not even be the area of strength or giftedness. Proverbs 17.22, listen to this scripture. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. When their spirit is broken, they are getting sapped more and more. I remember being on duty. I got a call, a shots fired call. Um, I was first on scene. There's a guy in the front, standing on the, in front of the house, and he's just yelling, my son, my son. Um, I check the house out, I go inside, and I find that um, the son had committed suicide. Looking, seeing the suicide note that had been left behind. Um, this this boy had written, you know, everyone was blown away. Straight A student. Excelled at sports. Um, all the exterior factors that are so often associated with how well is this kid doing were stellar, off the charts. But the thing that broke his spirit, he goes, I don't know how, I can't live up to these expectations any longer. And he was getting it from everywhere. Parents, coaches, teachers, and, and they didn't even realize it until it was too late. Be careful how, what kind of expectations you put on them. You know, that's why some people even struggle. Well, should I even let my kid miss a day of school to go to church camp? Of course you should let your kid miss a day of school for camp. Um, you know, I don't know the specific circumstances, and there may be times where it's not appropriate. But as a general thing, um, if I could see anything that has one of the greatest impacts is getting your kids to camp, um, I would do whatever it took as a parent. When I have the opportunity, I'll do that to try and get them there. Because there's extended times where they're getting focused on just the Lord and where they're at in their lives. It's going to pay off huge in the long run. So here's the thing, the takeaway on this one. Help students prune and plan their commitments. Help them prune and plan their commitments. Um, and uh, just some tips. If, they're new, if you're new to the church, you've got kids, call up the church. Ask to speak to the youth pastor, the director that's in charge. Um, let us know when your kids are coming. Um, we got great people working all the youth ministries, and you know they're going to do their best to look out for their kids. Um, you're going to also have to encourage your kid. It's going to take time to build relationships in there, so help them commit to an extended period because you can't just go into a new place and you know feel connected right away. It's going to take some time. Do your best to find out who's helping out with your kid. Encourage them. There's going to be people just like you. Um, 
A lot of college-age students, single students, or single people that are going to be in there investing, and they've got full-time jobs, they're working, and they're volunteering their time above everything else to invest in your kids. Encourage them. Write them a note. Um, thank God for them, because kids need people even outside of their parents. So those would be some tips I'd even encourage as far as the, the church aspect. Fifth thing that every kid needs, last one we're going to hit, is this, responsibility. Responsibility. Now, that's a biggie. Um, pretty passionate about this one. Proverbs 27:12, great scripture. It says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. The New Living Translation puts it like this. A prudent person foresees danger ahead and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Now, there's a big thing. We've got to help kids understand that life has consequences. Right? Um, if they don't learn that in the home, will they learn that in life? Oh, yes. And it's going to be a lesson of hard knocks. It's going to come really quick. And that's a key thing in the book of Proverbs. Um, it's a big, big deal. Um, working with students, a lot of things you see, sometimes students will come away with, with just a real deep sense of apathy. I don't care. Um, or they're, they've got an amazing ability to know how to blame other people. Um, it's never their fault. Um, and there's like a care for me mentality that can be developed, and that can be nurtured by even well-intentioned adults in their lives. Um, so how does that even look? You know, how could we encourage apathy uh, in a kid? Well, if, you're, if you do things like trying to solve all their problems all their time, don't let, give them a chance to work things out, you're going to breed apathy because they don't need to be aware of those things. If you make money too easy and not valued, you could breed apathy in that. Be careful. Um, if uh, with blame, now this one blows me away. The, the blame one is just an amazing thing. How, do we, how could we encourage that in an unhealthy way? where you will always believe your child over any other person in their life and in a sense defend them when you should not necessarily be defending them. Um, how does this play out? Um, they're failing a class. Well, it's the teacher's fault. The kid says it's the teacher's fault. Even if the teacher explains, you know, he just honestly has not turned in homework. These last five assignments, obviously he didn't pass his pretest. He just hasn't applied himself. And if you always take the side, well, it's just the teacher's fault. You know... Watching this was one of my, about 14 years ago, I was working at a church in Lakewood, youth intern, and, and this was demonstrated so clearly. First time for me, it was like, hit me smack in the face that this, how powerful this can be. I remember one Wednesday night, we were doing a youth group thing, um, getting things set up, and this parent comes barreling through the door with his, you know, high school buddy, or high school son, and one of those high school kids' buddies that's on the football team, and comes barreling up and you know, starting to chew out one of the staff, where, you know, he's saying, you know, I want to know where the staff person is. Um, and uh, the staff person's over in the other part of the room. And as I talk to this parent, I'm like, can you tell me what's going on? And the dad's like, he goes, yeah, someone has hit my son. My son last week, someone hit my son. Well, I knew the interaction he's talking about. Nobody hit his son. I, I saw exactly what it was, but he, he jumped to the conclusion what was said was absolutely true. A staff person told him to sit down. But the kid knew how, how to kind of evoke a reaction in his dad. And he did that. So the dad comes. And meantime, the kid's older brother is confronting one of the staff that's working in there, volunteer staff. And all I hear is, Dave, back me up. And this guy, my buddy, is looking at me going like this, because like, he's got these two guys like, in his face. Next thing I know, he gets clocked hard right in the face. So we have a fight breaking out in the youth room at this point. 
Now, <laughs> and in youth ministry, we call this code red. Things are going downhill and going downhill fast. Uh, I run over, I try and get between them. This guy is pretty much knocked out on his feet, so I'm trying to get between my friend and this other, this football player, high school kid. I'm holding them apart. Meantime, his buddy comes behind me, grabs me in a chokehold, uh, pulling me off, it's his other buddy, and, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm involved in the fight, you know? I step back, I'm trying to get this, I'm getting this guy off me, then the dad comes running and tackles. Well, meantime, I didn't even realize that somebody had called 911. They knew that I'm an, uh, I was a police officer, so they said an off-duty officer needs help. Well, hello. Um, those are, <laughs> if you don't know, those are magic words. And let me tell you, uh, we, there were so many sheriffs coming in that room. <laughs> You've just seen the, the kids. Man, this is the best youth group ever, you know, unreal. Uh, hundreds of kids the next week. It was amazing. Um, but I'm just saying, that, that whole experience, but the dad, this all came from the, the attitude that, that we can un, unknowingly do, which is to always side with the kids instead of just investigating it. You can encourage a blame other people mentality, which can go, turn things really, really unhealthy. So the key step on this, allow students to experience consequences. Allow people, allow your kids to experience consequences. Well, what if they forget their cleats to the game? Well, maybe... It's okay for them to miss that game. They can't play. They have to set it out. There's a good chance the next time they will get to play. And in the whole totality of life, that's really not that big of a deal. Um, But when that is always taken away from kids, there's something destructive that begins to happen. Um, I'll give you one more. This uh, this letter was sent out to youth groups throughout Southern California. You will love this. Um, Dear Pastor... We're members of a youth group a lot like yours. We meet every week for Bible study and fun. We're writing to tell you about one of our friends named Tessie who needs our help and yours. Tessie is the member of our youth group. She's on the cross-country team at school. She's in the choir, a good student. She's very well liked. At this point, you're thinking, man, is it cancer? Uh, Did she lose a leg? Did her father get shipped off to war? What happened here? Goes on to say, however, Tessie made a mistake last month. Tessie took her parents' car without permission and got into a wreck. She's okay, but it'll cost $2,500 to repair the car. Hmm. Tessie has her permit, but not her driver's license, so the insurance won't pay for the damage. Tessie feels really bad. Uh Uh-huh. Because she's never done anything like this before. But her parents are making her pay for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Now she has to quit sports and get a job. Uh Uh-huh. Uh... She probably won't be able to go on the choir tour this summer. Even when she finds a job, it'll take forever to pay off the money. Basically, her whole life is ruined. (laughs) And we feel bad for her. We hope you do too. Please help us help her. We're writing to every youth group we can think of and asking two things. One, write to Tessie even though you don't know her and tell you you feel bad for her. Two, could you take up a little collection to help Tessie to pay her debt? If each student in your group would give 50 cents or a dollar, it would help pay for the car and Tessie to feel better about herself. We're not asking each youth group to do a lot, but we're asking each youth group to do a little. Wouldn't you want someone to do this if it happened to you? Well, let me get this straight. Tessie steals her car, mom's car. Um, She's driving without a license. Uh, She wrecks the car, and she's asking us to pay for it. That's what's, I mean, her friends are asking us to pay for it. So my temptation is, sure, I would love to write Tessie a letter myself. Dear Tessie, (laughs) dear Tessie, you have amazing parents. (laughs) 
I'd love to meet them someday. It's very rare to find parents who actually have students pay for the consequences of their actions. And I'm really glad you have friends, friends like you have. And I'm really glad that those friends don't come to my youth group. <laughs> love, Pastor Dave. Uh, and I didn't write that. I'm just, you know, obviously, but, you see, but there's just that mentality that goes in there. There's got to be some place where there's healthy consequences allowed to be experienced. And it starts even when they're little. You see it with parents. You know, don't let me get to three. One, two, three. Okay, maybe you didn't hear me. <laughs> this time, you know, you don't want the, the cyclone of fury to be unleashed. One, two, three, uh, two and a half, two and three quarters. They're using fractions. And the kid is laughing. You know, they know that there's really no consequence. And it can even play out when they're older and they're in high school or whatever. And there's always a great excuse why the consequence shouldn't be, you know, done. If they're on, you know, a two-week restriction. But it's their only 16th birthday party. Yes, I know. Uh, I'm just saying there's going to be times to bend on that stuff because you don't want to be rigid and unrealistic as a parent. At the same time, you cannot um, care for your kids so much that they can never experience what consequences are. So allow those consequences to be there. Um, In the totality of everything we're talking about, I realize I could do several messages on this. There's a lot to hit in this. But before you leave today, I just want to say and encourage you. Um, One, we've all blown it in some ways with our interactions with kids, haven't we? Um, Human love has a limit. God's love doesn't have a limit. There's only so much we can handle. But God can handle all things. Our patience will run out. God's patient doesn't run out. You want to know a key to being a good parent? Walk with God. Allow his fruit of just the fact of his love, his joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, work through your life. We can't make it without the Lord. And there's nothing more important than you and your role in life than your role as a parent. Um, So I'd like to pray for us all right now as we close. Let's bow our heads. Father, we pray for your grace. We pray for your mercy. Because, Lord, you know we need it. Um, Our kids need it. We thank you, Lord, for every student that's at this church. What an honor. What is the greatest investment our church has for our future. So would you help us, Lord, know how to encourage, love, and support kids. Give them exactly what is needed and craved, the way that you designed. Um, And would you just be with us um, as, uh, as we leave here today. And just as we... All of us just would leave with at least one thing on our mind that we could really focus on this week as we interact. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's something maybe to think about as you leave, especially if you felt uh, some kind of conviction or regret as you thought about um, your history as a parent. Um, I would say this. You know, there's areas that we can all say, man, we've really blown that. Something bold that you could do is to sit down with your kid or your kids And let them know that your desire is to be a great parent. You may need to just own up to some areas where you've blown this. Maybe it's been with your temper um, and how you've disciplined or whatever. But you can glance at the outline and see some areas. And maybe just say, ask your kids if they would do something, if they would pray for you in that role. You know what you will probably find is that those kids' hearts will melt, um, respect you for it. If you've never prayed with them before, it may be a little awkward, but just just feel that out. They need to hear from you as a parent that you can admit when you've blown it, um, and they can also hear that you desire um, to be to love on them, be the best parent. Maybe you've just forgot to encourage them like they've needed it. 
But hearing that from a parent would be huge. I want to share one psalm, uh, verse from Psalms. It's what David prayed. He says, I will try to walk a blameless path, but how I need to help your help, Lord, especially in my home, where I long to act as I should. Isn't that a great thing to pray? It's from the Living Bible, Psalm 101, verse 2. So I'd encourage you to do that. And no, Pastor Mike will be back next week. We're kicking off a series called Heart of the Servant. So hope to see you then. God bless you guys.